I don't know what drives you, but what originally drove me to do the law conversion and get do this was to make him proud. So when I got the job, I felt great and I loved it. And I, you know, it was just a good feeling. But then it was sort of like, well, what does this mean? Like, what's, the, what's the point if there's not someone that's going to be proud of you? And I know other people in my life that were proud of me, obviously, but I sort of wanted him to make him proud. Hello and welcome back to Daddy Issues podcast with me and Harrod George Carey. Daddy Issues is a podcast exploring fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you think you have, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this conversation as one that needs to be recognised heard and confronted. If you like what you hear, please do feel free to rate, review and subscribe because I love hearing all your feedback, but more importantly, it gets to more ears and the more ears, the merrier. So thank you so much. I'm going to let you get on with the episode now and I hope you have a wonderful listen. That's great. Okay, (laughs) do some speaking. Do some speaking, do some speaking, do some speaking, Harry. I think I've got the sound nailed. That's very exciting. In today's episode, I am speaking to Harry Bell. Harry is a practicing lawyer at Osborne Clark, specializing in real estate disputes. Osborne Clark is an international legal practice headquartered in London and is one of the largest law firms in the UK by revenue. When Harry's not lawyering, he's usually following Arsenal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing at that bit? Because I just... sound I'm putting something weirder. No, I just love that you brought that in. When Harry's not lawyering, lawyer... when Harry's not lawyering, he's usually following Arsenal all over the country and Europe. Although because of COVID nineteen, this hobby of his is not currently possible. Harry is slightly different from my other guests, as we've known one another for sixteen years having formed a bond in chemistry class in 2004 by charging around in our lab coats. Two months before qualifying as a lawyer, Harry's father, Lord Bell, passed away due to complications ensuing vascular Parkinson's. Lord Bell was a key advisor to Margaret Thatcher in her three successful election campaigns and went on to be chairman of Chime Communications and then to co-found PR machine Bell Pottinger. As Harry quotes himself, whilst being a key advisor to many political regimes, as well as much more than that, my father played an integral part to how I turned out, and his memory lingers in many aspects of current political life and my life. I'm so excited and touched and moved to have you on, Harry. So welcome to Daddy Issues, and thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thanks, Harry. That's a lovely intro. It's nice to actually manage to tie you down for... A few minutes, you're always very busy. And I know. I got you locked away in a room, which but... is just what I wanted, really. <laughs> not, not like that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should cut that. That's what I got. So Harry and I actually came up with doing this idea, was it two weeks ago? Yeah, um, we were on, where were we? We were in Exmouth. We're next month in Devon. In Devon, actually, exactly when um, we were in the same bubble, lockdown bubble, of course. So it's perfectly allowed that we were allowed to be together <laughs> away on this holiday. Yeah. And um, I think we were. I think it was about what about eleven, and we'd had quite a bit to drink. Mm-hmm. But I always try and ask. So Harry, you you lost your dad in August two thousand and nineteen, and I always try and ask Harry how he's doing and his grieving process is like and how he feels and. If I may say, you're not usually the most open with your emotions. (laughs) So to my surprise, you were the one who actually said, can I come on the podcast? Which I loved. Yeah, I made quite a few drunken mistakes in my life and that was (laughs) definitely one of them. Um, And I did wake up the next morning thinking, what have I done? Um, But anyway, I'm here now. So I'm not one to... Once I've agreed to do something. Actually, no, that's not true. I usually pull out of things quite a lot. Yeah, I was about to say, you're quite flaky. <laughs> I'm quite flaky. <laughs> so why do you think you want to come on the podcast? Um, I think, well, there's obviously the part of it, which is it's really fun being here recording with you. That was mm. definitely a big part of it. But also, it's definitely healthy to talk about these things. And I was very quiet about it um, and didn't really speak about it after he died for a long period of time. Mm. Um, and now I find the more I talk about it, better I feel 
and it feels more normal as opposed to being. I I've got you know I've got I know people that their parents have passed away and they never speak about it. And it's one of those like taboo subjects. And you know if someone like if someone mentions something about like you know if you feel like the pub or something and someone doesn't know their dad's passed away and someone asks them oh, what does your dad do or something like that and then it comes up, you can like sense the atmosphere change and people get quiet. Um, and I just didn't really want that to be. I mean, obviously, people can grieve the way they want to, and they can they can talk about what they want to talk about. But I didn't I didn't really want that to be a thing with me. But I love talking about him, and I like when people speak about him. And a lot of my friends, like you, knew him very well. Um, so I didn't really want that to be a taboo subject around me. So I'm very happy to speak about it. And also, I think um, I'm coming on here to sort of boost the ratings. I think people <laughs> want to hear what I have to say. So. <laughs> Oh, I'm so happy to hear that, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> That's really amazing, genuinely. Because it's not even been a year since your dad passed away. Yeah. And I think it's amazing that you've already come to the... Because um, often I think it can take people so long because everyone's got their own journey, if you will, mm. with grief. Yeah. And to come to a point where you're like, actually, I really need to talk about this and I don't want it to be like a thing. Because it is a thing. Even me, 20, you know, over 20 years ago, my dad died. But when people ask about if for example if dad's come up or for whatever reason like my dad's death is somehow brought into conversation naturally mm, yeah you're right in that thing and which lots of people probably listening to this will be able to resonate with in anyone's death but I think a very close death like a father or a mother or a sibling there's this really awkward cloud that then mm. sits within like the chat that you're having 100% and you and I don't know how you feel about this but I overcompensate and fill in the gaps and try and make jokes yeah but how do you how do (laughs) you you handle it (laughs) um I sort of do the same thing I mean I actually this sounds really it's actually a morbid thing to say I'm gonna say it anyway though no we like morbid yeah my dad's my dad's cremation um I remember it being a bit so the the um the coffins on the sort of stand behind the um Religious man. <laughs> what is his figure? I don't know. He's, he's the, the religious man is standing there doing his religious speech. Um, and at the end, the curtain comes around. And then, the, then there's the cremation that takes... Wait, is that how it works? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around, yeah, and it's, then that's, so you're in the moratorium. Yeah. Sorry, the crematorium. You're in the crematorium and the service takes place and the curtain comes around. So I remember turning to my friend and saying, oh, like, imagine if, like suddenly like the whole thing sets on fire and like the curtains on fire and like the whole crematorium sets on fire and we have to run out and he looked at me like I was some sort of freak getting out of the time but I didn't know what to say did you say yeah. to your friend and your dad's just been well, he's about to be burned <laughs> like you, you don't really know what to say it's, it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm exactly the same way when, when, pe- when it comes up you don't know whether to make jokes or because if you, if you treat it seriously then you know when the conversation sort of breaks and there's that pause for about two seconds. It's a very awkward pause before people try and work out where do we go on from here. Like, are we going to carry on talking about it? Or are we going to go back to talking about football or whatever it was we were talking about before? Um, so I think making jokes is the only way you can really deal with it. But at the same time, like, the other person's well aware you're making jokes because you probably feel a bit awkward about it. So there's just no way of getting around it. Yeah. But I think it's, it's still better to talk about it than it is to not talk about it. And also, the more drunk people get around you, the more they want to speak to you about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Drunk people love talking about deep stuff. Yeah. Including myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> including our chat two weeks ago. Yeah. How else would you describe this nearly year of not having your dad around? Um, it's, well, it's difficult because he, he would often call me or text me, usually by accident, actually. You'd get, you know when you sometimes, you know when you turn your camera on and suddenly you see this disgusting face right in front of you because your camera's flipped around to, <laughs> it's not facing the right way and you suddenly see three chins. Oh, what the, where the fuck does that come from? <laughs> yeah. um, my dad would often send me selfies without meaning to of him sort of glaring at the screen. <laughs> um, I'm sure, he, well, maybe he meant to do that, I don't know. That's really funny. But it was definitely scary. Um, and he used to do that quite a lot and he used to call me quite often and he usually, obviously he needed help with everything around the house, like mm. you know, anything electronic. I'm not actually very good at that stuff, but he's obviously completely, was completely useless. Um, so it's, it's obviously not hearing from him is difficult. Um, and also, you know, I think the main thing I really miss about in the last year is just advice because, um, like, I'm... I, you, when I ask my friends for advice or other people for advice, I'm usually waiting to... I, I think a lot of people do, anyway, do this anyway, but I'm usually waiting to hear what I want to hear. Um, and if they don't... If they give me advice that I don't want to hear, I'll ignore it. 
mm-hmm. um, and do whatever I wanted to do anyway in the first place, which isn't the way to do things, but that's just, you know, <laughs> I'd, norm- I'd, I'd prefer to live with making my own mistakes that I decided upon than taking someone else's advice and it going wrong. So mm-hmm. you can't, then you blame other people, mm-hmm. whereas I like to blame myself. Um, but I think that advice is definitely the one thing I really missed is whatever, whenever he gave advice, it was always great. Mm. Um, I mean, there was some, I mean, I mean, it's more that I listened to his advice. I mean, sometimes his advice was completely meaningless. Like I remember years ago, my girlfriend broke up with me at the time, years and years ago. And I asked him, I was obviously miserable as you are. Um, and I asked him for some advice and he said, oh, you should bury yourself in your work, which I don't think is very good advice, first of all. And second of all, <laughs> at the time I was at school. Um, and he knew I didn't work very hard I was playing Grand Theft I remember it was a big summer for Grand Theft Auto actually and I remember I did actually build up quite the property portfolio in the downtown San Andreas area which um, is probably meaningless to you in the game it means a lot it was a vast property portfolio Um, but that obviously didn't really help with how I was feeling Um, so I mean the main main thing is definitely advice and Mm. especially with work in life he was obviously a titan of his industry um, and, you know, not being able to ask him for advice with my job um, is frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm 29 years old, not a kid, so yeah. I should be able to work those things out for myself. But, you know, I am jealous. I'm, I am envious of friends of mine who have got their fathers and still sort of look out for them and give them advice on things. I mean, that's probably the main thing I miss. I mean, other than that, I don't so much miss... Um, I mean, I, I, obviously I miss, like, hanging out with him and things like that, but he was... I mean, he had a stroke in... I think it was 2017 mm-hmm. um and after that he did sort of change a bit not, not like changes in he was still a lovely man great you know great father but he had mm-hmm. lost his spark somewhat not his spark he was when still, was that 2007 2017 right 17 um, i was about yeah. to say no no that would be, yeah, that'd be yeah. a disaster um <laughs> well obviously it was still a disaster anyway, but that would be tragic um but yeah no so he'd lost it not a spark but he lost his, he just lost a bit of his zip he was just a bit slower um and it was difficult to watch him deteriorate um but at, this, at the same time, like, you know, you, was, you were saying earlier about um, how your guests normally have lost their parents from a much younger age and, you know, the, you know, the difficulty in growing up without them, you know, as, as your, in your formative years as an adolescent mm. and so forth. But um, with him, I had him during that period, but he was always, I mean, he, you know, he was born in 1941 and mm. I was born in 1991. So he gave birth to me. Well, sorry, he didn't give birth to me. I think my mum did. <laughs> Um, but that was when, so he was 50 years old when he had me. And mm. I always remember being, he was always an old man. Mm. He always had the grey slip back hair, mm-hmm. you know, and we, you know, we didn't really, like he'd come, he'd try and play football with me in the garden, but it was like, he was sort of plod around and I would just smack balls at his face. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he couldn't really get around very quickly. And he, you could tell as soon as we started, mm. he just wanted to go and have a cigarette and he was tired out pretty quickly. Um, so I, was, I did spend most of, most of my time growing up. I was worried that he would keel over and die at any moment. Like he was always, as you remember, he smoked you know, 40 cigarettes a day and he was always out of breath and he was always very ill. And he had the quadruple heart bypass and he had colon cancer. And he beat all of those things, but he was always like, I always thought he was on the verge of death. So I think in some ways I was sort of grieving as I was growing up anyway. Mm. Um, so that's why I think, you know, I didn't go into a complete tailspin when he died. First of all, because we knew he had this... Um, we knew he had the vascular Parkinson's and we knew he was going to die at some point anyway. But mm-hmm. um, also because I was sort of preparing for it for years. And like, you know, I always thought, you know, what my biggest fear growing up was always, you know, what am I, what, how am I going to feel when he dies? And I always, I used to think about it every day. Like, you know, what is it that goes through your mind when it happens? Like, how like, will I be devastated? Will I cry? Like, those are all things that I thought about. Yeah. Um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't actually really cry, um... I actually never, I, I think I, on the day he died, so I was there, I did cry. Um, but I didn't actually really break down and feel devastated about it until a friend of ours' father died of COVID in the last couple of months. Um, like a very good friend of ours. And when yeah. I found that out, um, I'm not sure, it wasn't so much, I, I met his, his father's also a great man, but it's not so much that I was crying for him as much as I was crying I think I, it was just a sort of a built up build up emotions and I was sort of I was just all day I was just crying all day and I've never I haven't had pride like that since I was very young um, and I think it all just caught up with me mm. um, and I think I hadn't really processed it properly until that point um, but yeah so I forgot forget the, I've been talking for about half an hour <laughs> I can't forget the original question <laughs> no, no, that, no that's how this is perfect <laughs> That's how um, it's supposed to be. I remember you telling me that a couple of weekends ago, but how 
when it was your dad's death and also because you had to deal with like you know everything that follows death especially when you're an adult which is like the funeral the memorial service like all these different things yeah and you have to sort of stay together you've got your sister yes so there's a part of you that has that kind of strength that we all have inside us that we forget that we have because if, if it's never been used you just don't realize that we're so strong so yeah it makes to me a lot of sense that it took one of your best friends dads to die for you to really feel the impact of your dad's death because you didn't hold all that responsibility at that time exactly if that yeah. makes sense yeah i was allowed to be upset yeah, yeah i see what you're saying yeah, that's exactly i think that's exactly what it was yeah for people who are grieving in their late 20s early 30s as young adults late 20s for me not early 30s <laughs> i know no late Just make 20s. That clear. the last 20 <laughs> <laughs> fair enough losing someone at this completely different life stage but also an incredibly pinnacle point like you've recently transformed transformed but you've recently (laughs) you've changed (laughs) you got a beard um but you've recently gone from i guess boy to man i'd say within your 20s yeah i've transformed to a man boy you've transformed into a man boy (laughs) exactly and it is a completely different stage of life because you've now got a career and you're no longer kind of with the umbrella or shield of education and so it's a new point in your life not to be cliche about this but boys and men tend to not be so open with their feelings and you coming here and like talking about how you feel so recently after your dad died I think can help so many people learn to open up themselves and see how rewarding and healthy it is so thank you for coming on you're very welcome so let's go and go a bit more tradish with the interview I'd love you to take us back to the beginning and where you grew up and your family dynamics so we grew up in um where did we grow up <laughs> sorry no i actually know exactly where we grew up uh, we grew up in um belgravia so sort of in between victoria and sloan square um and it was a very very nice very nice upbringing um i went to school just behind sloan square and actually no, that was my that was prep school but i went to primary school um in Eccleston Square which is sort of by Victoria um, mm-hmm. so I was sort of always in that same sort of square um, area of London growing up um, and <laughs> <laughs> so I'm square food for the pursuit. <laughs> yeah listener I'm drawing a square with my fingers for your benefit <laughs> um, and I th- well the, the dynamic was quite simple it was just you know dad would go in dad would go into work in the morning I would go to school I'd come mum would pick me up um and we'd wait around, Dad would come back in the evening at some point, and then we'd watch Friends or ER, depending on what night it was. If it was Thursday at 7.30, it would be Friends. If it was Monday at 9 o'clock, it would always be ER. <laughs> um, and then go to bed, and then, and then on the weekends we'd go down, and we had a place in, um, in West Sussex, and we'd go, go down there each weekend. And the family dynamic was great. Um, and yeah, it was just a sort of standard, or not standard, obviously, you know, extremely privileged, but, you know, loved it, a really nice upbringing. Um, but as I said before, um, he was all, like I, I, he was just he was always I don't know it, 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 we would, when we would do things when we would go out people would often call me his grandson mm. or refer to him as my grandfather and I could tell it sort of stung him a bit. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure he particularly liked that. But we weren't we weren't particularly well, it's not we weren't particularly close. I think you know, I think he's a boy, um, and if he's a sister as well, I think fathers tend to be slightly more gravitate slightly, toward, slightly more towards their daughters and their sons. I think I, I was definitely a lot, I was definitely a mummy's boy mm-hmm. um, and definitely was a lot closer than my mum. Um, like she got me hooked on this fantastic skincare regime from quite a young age. I don't as you can, it's sitting across from me now, you can probably see my skin glowing and I learned that from my mother. Um, <laughs> I do have a very dry skin type so I need to make sure I moisturise in the morning and in the evening. Um, we can talk about that after the interview though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think he was, he was always a lot closer with Daisy, my sister. Um, I remember, for example, I remember I used to have quite a lot of trouble sleeping. I would, I would often wake up in the night um, and I couldn't, and this is up until the age of about nine or ten, and I couldn't get back to sleep. And I would, I would go downstairs to my parents' room and my dad slept right next to the bedroom door and my mum slept on the other side of the bed, um, on the other side of the room. And I would creep round the bed as quietly as I could because I didn't want to wake my dad up. Obviously, he'd work the next day and so forth, and he'd usually get annoyed. 
I creep round trying to get to my mum's side and so I just shake her awake, which must have been terrifying. <laughs> I did this a lot, bear in mind, so they must have, I mean, she lost a lot of sleep over the years. And I used to try and creep round to her and sometimes my dad would wake up and he'd intercept me and he'd say, let's go back upstairs. He'd take me up to bed, like tuck me in and then he'd go back down and I would wait 10, 15 minutes till I thought he was back asleep and I'd creep downstairs again and try and creep past him <laughs> to get to mum. And I just, I just couldn't go back to sleep unless mum had put me back in bed. Yeah. And also that must be another thing. I mean, obviously you don't think about these things when you're young, but that must have been a bit, not hurtful. Well, obviously well, it is a bit hurtful, but I obviously mm-hmm. doesn't mean it. But I mean, if I was, if my son would, couldn't, couldn't go back to sleep when I took him back to bed, but it would only work with my wife, I would be a bit like, uh, yeah. oh, this guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> get rid of him yeah no exactly um, so like, the, things like that I mean it wasn't actually until I was at, um, probably like late, later teens that mm-hmm. we became closer mm-hmm. um, because I mean he I, as, as I, you said in my bio you know, I'm a very big Arsenal fan um, and he never and he never really liked football um, so he used to, I mean, whenever we'd watch it, he'd spend the whole game complaining about the ref or that they were cheating the whole time. And it was very hard to watch them. I mean, imagine watching something like, imagine watching something you enjoy and they're just constantly like, sh- like shouting or like complaining. Yeah. And you can't watch it properly. But and he used to take me to a lot of Arsenal games, which was very sweet. So he obviously didn't like it. Um, and I sort of reciprocated actually with cricket because I didn't really like cricket, but I'd watch it because that was the way we could bond. I mean, yeah. the, I mean, otherwise, you know, you're not really spending time with anyone. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, the whole family TV, television dynamic. Like, yeah. you, you all sit around to watch a TV show. But now, because you have TVs in multiple rooms and everyone wants to watch their own show and everyone has a means of watching on different platforms, different television shows at the same time, you yeah. don't often sit as a family anymore and watch, I don't know about you, but yeah. we don't, I mean, we never all like the same thing. Like, even now, if I don't see my mum, um, no one wants to watch the same TV show. Everyone wants to sit there either on their phones waiting for the show to end so they don't watch what they want to watch or they, no, one can hold, no one can hold their attention span for longer than two minutes so they yeah. get on their phone anyway and they're not actually watching the programme. It's quite interesting for me to hear this from you because we've, I've been on holiday obviously with you and your dad um, when we were younger and teenagers yeah. and every time I've come to see your dad obviously it's because I'm also seeing you and I see you guys together and I just had assumed that you guys had always been really, really close. I feel like, because you've always admired your dad so much, you speak yeah. so highly of him. Mm. So I took that as like you having had like a really good relationship. And so it makes, it's really interesting for me to hear that, that this, which is probably felt by so many, yes. actually is like the underlying current of the sort of complexity between the father and son relationship as much as it can be the same way for a mother and a daughter. Yes. Um, how would you describe that feeling of um, distance that you might have felt between you both? How did that feel seeing him closer to Daisy and all that kind of stuff? Um, I didn't really, I didn't care that he was closer to Daisy mm. um, because I think I just sort of got, I, th- I think I just understood the dynamic and the way those sort of parent-child relationships work from a young age. I mean, he, we, 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 there was a lot of similarities to me and my dad, mainly with sort of acting when things are fine when they're not and you know being like polite and kind when you might be thinking other things mm-hmm. so I think we sort of both spoke to each other and treated each other that way without a lot of things were a lot of things were always unsaid with us like I didn't really that's we never spoke about he was quite like it's not as though he was like a big butch man in any way but he was very like he's quite a manly man quite old school mm-hmm. um so you know to speak to him about my feelings would be I was not something I would do because right, yeah. it wouldn't, not that it wouldn't end well, but it just, I wouldn't get what I wanted out of it. So there was no point. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, to be honest with you, like, yeah, we, 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 when we talk, I mean, it was, when I go to him for advice, it was mainly to do with like life decisions. I mean, mm-hmm. he was great at that. Um, I also think that like he was, a, he was obviously extremely good at his job and worked very hard. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, you have this idea when you're a kid that you're, you know, your parents are perfect, mm-hmm. that they're like completely infallible. Um, and obviously you realise when you're older that that's not true. But I think you can't, I mean, I, I can't imagine there's a scenario where you have like, you know, a dad who's, you know, in, on top of his game, like really high up in some sector of work. Um, and is also an amazing parent. I'm not sure you can do all at the same time because there's no time for it. Mm. Um, and it's, I'm not saying that he wasn't. He was a great dad in a lot of ways. Like he was, he was very, he was kind and very generous. Um, but he was perhaps not as involved as he 
could have been if he but I mean you know that's just the way it is I mean if he, if he didn't if he was a stay at home dad it would have been different but he wasn't yeah um and he did have to work hard and work late and I think you know I mean I what one of my you know one of the things I always think about with him is that and I actually starting to get this now so if I come if I go to work and I come back and someone asks me about my day or like a specific part of my day to do with work I do not want to fucking talk about it and it annoys me as soon as they ask me Mm-hmm. Some people like to talk about it. I mean, but I, I just don't want to talk about it. That's done. I'm mm-hmm. home now. I don't want to speak about it. And he was like that when he came home from work. Like, if you're not, he would come home from work and then you'd say, oh, how was your day? And he said, fine. And then you think, well, okay, now what am I meant to say? Because what else are we meant to talk about? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting that you say that because I think, like, the way that people will replicate or mirror the behavior of their parents, whether or not they're Mm. sort of super close or not, just because of that kind of nature nurture thing. And maybe also as a way to try and be closer to them unconsciously, you know? Mm. And so, you know, you smoke. (laughs) (laughs) And as you say, there are things between your father and yourself that are really similar in the way that you behave and the way that you cope and manage life. Yeah. And so to me, that makes sense that I'm not saying that you know, coming back late from work and, you know, there are plenty of people who get annoyed by that. Like, sometimes I don't want to speak about a long day either, but sometimes I really, really do. So there's this kind of, and I don't know, I wonder if it's to do potentially with you having seen that from your dad and kind of just carrying that with you as something that you also then do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you might be right. That's probably exactly right. I mean, it's funny you mentioned the smoking because... Yeah, I've definitely I've picked up. I've got a pretty bad smoking habit, and I do. There's a lot of similar scenarios that I smoke in to which he used to smoke in. And um, one thing I always remember about Dad was that um, there was this weird, weird thing growing up where he would smoke, but we ne- no one ever spoke about it. And I actually had no idea that he he smoked. He would disappear in the garden every five minutes to go for a cigarette, and I was young. I didn't understand, and I didn't know, and yeah. I didn't I didn't actually find out until my sister said oh you know dad smoked and I said no he doesn't and she said yes he does follow me and took and like we, we looked outside and he was outside smoking in the garden um and it would also explain why sometimes he had these um scars on his thumbs that looked like warts mm. um they're not stars they were warts um at least I thought they were and it later <laughs> turned out when I realized that he smoked that what it was was that he would be in the garden smoking and if someone came outside to see where he was he would stub the cigarette out on his thumb and it would train. <laughs> so he oh my God, that's so hard. He was basically torturing himself. I know, it's crazy. Um, all just so that he didn't have to have the conversation. But, you, but it is like one of those, like, when someone says, like, says to you, like, you shouldn't smoke, it's bad for your health or something. Mm. You feel like a tiny bit of anger towards them. That's just the way, that's just the way it is. It's, it's annoying. <laughs> but also, you know they're right. And you can't really talk about it. And I mean, you know, as a father with children, like, he obviously didn't want, he just didn't want it to be raised. And he was like, a, you know, massively into smoking. And I remember when he used to pick me up from school, he would, um, he would be driving me back. And he had this really crap, um, it wasn't crap, but he had this like two-seater Saab um, <laughs> where there's barely any room. And um, so it wasn't two-seater, it was a, it was a three-door, but there was a t- couple of tiny seats in the back. And we'd mm. be driving back and I could tell he was desperate for a cigarette. And first of all, it was a bit dangerous because he was driving pretty fast to try and get back so he could have a cigarette um, away from me. <laughs> so we'd be, we'd be halfway along the drive and he would say to me, oh, Harry, like, you look like you need a nap. And I'd say, no, no, I'm fine. And he'd say, no, you, you need to have a sleep. I think, why don't you hop in the back and have a sleep? And so the first couple of times, I didn't really understand, but I just thought, okay, I'll just do it. So I'd get in the back seat and I'd lie down and I'd close my eyes. And he'd wait a couple of minutes until he thought I was asleep and then he'd start smoking. So he thought I was asleep in the back of the car and then he could have a cigarette. <laughs> and the thing is, like, looking back on it now, like he, this guy, like, he was obviously not a stupid man. He was extremely clever. Mm. So it just must have been one of those sort of like deny, like, creating some sort of deniability that like, he'd have known that I was well aware of what was going on but I think he just wanted me to you know create that sort of separation from I'm literally smoking in front of you just there was some sort of yep. barrier to it yeah take the guilt away yeah <laughs> <laughs> no exactly you know when you mentioned a, a minute ago about um, when you came on holiday with yeah. us to France um, and that was such a great holiday great holiday um, but yeah dad absolutely loved you on that holiday thought you Aww. were great and um, I was actually thinking about this the other day and I remember when you, your father gave you that necklace and you lost it. You were swimming in the sea, weren't you? And yeah. you lost it. And I remember you were devastated and really upset. And I remember dad and you, I think, didn't dad come speak to you about it? And you yeah, were it was so, and I, it was so sweet. I started crying and I remember he hugged me. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like crying on his shoulder. <laughs> yeah, but what's That's slightly so less lovely. sweet is that um, I think I came to see you in your room afterwards. And... Um, yeah, you were lying in bed and you were crying and I was, I was sitting there and I was like patting your shoulder and you were very upset and you were talking about it. 
<laughs> as you were talking about it, um, your top slipped down and your boob popped out. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> so, so you're there crying about your, you know, your poor father's passed away, he's giving you this necklace and you've lost it in the sea. And it sounds like a movie. And your boob pops out. No. And I'm sitting there and you're crying. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> Just at the time. So I was a bit too young to be like, oh, let's make a joke out of this. Like, your boob's out. I know you're upset, but your boob's out. Put that away. Oh my God, so, I don't remember this. <laughs> This is really cringing me out. My boob was just out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my um, god. And so I think actually what I did instead was sit there and nod my head for a while. And then I left the room as quickly as I could and thought, I'm going to wait until Harry brings out a podcast and I'm going to manage this story. <laughs> yeah. you... No, I never said. <laughs> oh my god. That's really funny. Did you tell anyone else about that on holiday? Oh, I've told everyone. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. I've told a couple of people. I've like, it's, usually, it's just a memory for myself. More than, more than <laughs> I'm generally quite mortified by that. <laughs> um, but, a mm. few questions I want to ask. So, going back to your dad. So, your dad, he was completely self-made. Yes. He was a self-made man. Mm. So, I'd love to just, for you to tell the listener, just a little bit about how your dad came to be the guy he is and then how it feels to be particularly a son Yeah. Um, with a father who's very successful, whichever you want to answer. Yeah, so he grew up in Barn area of North London, um, very different upbringing to me. Um, is it? He went to, I think he was at Queen Elizabeth Grammar School in Barnet, went to school there. It was a good grammar school, I think, though. I don't know, I think it is. Um, and then he went on to, he eventually worked for ABC Studios as a coffee boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to be honest with you, like, you know, I used to ask him about this stuff and he never really told me the story properly or he'd say like, fine. And he didn't want to talk about it. Um, but he then, the next thing is suddenly at Saatchi and Saatchi and doing ad campaigns and, you know, working with the Thatcher, um, the Conservative Party at the time, Margaret Thatcher and winning those elections and going on to, you know, get all these big political contracts from other, with other countries um, and other big work like that. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely, like, I mean, there's definitely a part of it which is, I think, not just, I think, obviously, a lot of our friends, or friends of mine, rather, um, you know, they're at school and they have, they come from, like, a wealthy background, especially to go to public school. Um, whereas, you know, Dad was completely different. He was, he was very much, as you said, very much self-made. So there's definitely part of it where you feel a bit like, oh, like, I'm sort of here, like, you know, pissing around at school, um, not working as hard as I should, perhaps. And he mm-hmm. went out and, you know, he didn't go to university or anything like that and sort of made it on his own. So mm. you, f- you feel a bit worthless in some ways because of that. Not worthless, but, you know, you feel a bit inferior, let's say. Um, and then also I remember, you know, when I, when I finished school, I was always thinking, I, I, I studied politics at university which was probably the biggest mistake I've made in my life because I'm not interested in politics at all. Not at all. Like, I don't, you know, if, you know, if you're 10, 10 points down at the pub and you, you start like blathering on about Brexit and stuff, like, that will happen. Um, did you think, do you think you did that to please your dad? Yeah, that's, that's the point. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 the, only, the only reason I did that at university was I thought he wanted me to do it, mm-hmm. um, whereas I'd be much better off doing any, anything else. Um, and also, like, you, what, you come out of uni with a degree in politics and it's like, now what? I'm mm. what you meant to do with it. Um, I'm much better off doing, you know, English or yeah. anything else. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I obviously did that just because he, I thought he wanted me to do it. And also, I, you know, after uni, I was sort of like flirting with the idea of going to PR, um, which my sister has now done you know, very successfully and she's starting her own business. But um, I, I sort of tried it for a bit and I just felt as though, like, what's the point in doing something that your dad did and not as well? Um, and like, I mean, he was like one of, you know, he's, he will, you know, he's one of the most famous men to ever do it. Um, and there's just, there was just no point in me doing it. And I was also, I was sort of a bit lost with that and I didn't know quite what to do because, um, you know, a lot of people at the time would, would, would ask me, like, well, why don't you just go and get a job at his company? Like the easiest thing to do ever. And I, I actually did, I did like a couple of weeks work experience at one of his companies and I absolutely hated it because, um, people just look at you and they know who you are and, yeah. You feel like, yeah, you know, you feel like a bit 
I know, it's a bit embarrassing. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you sort of don't deserve to be there? I feel like you don't deserve to be there. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. I don't. I know nothing. I don't know nothing about. I don't know nothing about it. But I. I didn't enjoy it enough to warrant. If I enjoyed it a bit, it might have been fine. But yeah. I didn't. Um, so I mean, there's. I mean, yeah, there is definitely. You know, he was, was very much a self-made man, and I, you know, sort of got everything handed to me. And you know, I mean, I, I think the best thing I ever did was doing the law conversion because I did do that. That was my own thing. You know, I did that on my own, got my own job, um, and I've moved to Osborne Clark, and you know, I did that all myself, um, yeah. albeit with some help from other people. But um, I mean, that's the greatest thing I've done. I mean, the, the, you know, this is the other thing coming back to your original question about what do I miss most about Dad in the last year is definitely that he was not really cognizant of the the where I you know me moving to this firm and you know the things I'd accomplished like I would go and tell him and he would say oh well done but he didn't he wasn't quite, he just wasn't quite there after the stroke and he, I think he had quite a few like mini brain bleeds over the in the in the last year of his life so I think he wasn't quite I don't think he was quite with it and quite understood um so obviously it's you know because what you know what do you I don't know what drives you but what you know drove what originally drove me to do the law conversion and get the, and you know do this was to make him proud so it does feel a bit you know when you when you achieve I, I remember when I got the job I, I felt great and I loved it and I you know it's a good feeling but then it was sort of like well what, what does you know what what does this mean like what's the what's the point um if there's not someone that's gonna be proud of you mm. and I know other people in my life that were proud of me obviously but I sort of wanted him to make him proud mm. um that's not to discredit anyone else that was proud of me. I'm very grateful. But um, yeah, you know, I did it. You know, I wanted him. I wanted him to congratulate me and you know go out for dinner and you know, celebrate. And he couldn't do any of those things. Um, I mean, this is what's funny is that it's you know that's actually sort of more. That's that was when did he do it? Died in August, and I got the job in about a month before that. And obviously, he couldn't do anything at the time. So I think you know, it's more sad. I mean, it's 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 more sad that he wasn't able to celebrate properly with me then than it, than I was sad after he died, because mm. it was that was when I achieved that. That's when I achieved that. Um, so that's definitely apart from you know him giving me advice. It's definitely him. Not, I'm not not being able to celebrate things with him. Mm. Um, is the saddest part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was really moving, Harry. <laughs> Thanks, Harry. <Angela. laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> there was a question I had that now I've forgotten because I actually was totally like transfixed. in my story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What came, there was something about your dad. Um... Epic podcast hosting here. <laughs> there was something about your dad. Thank God it's you. <laughs> there was something about your dad that I wanted to say. <laughs> Um, hang on, it will come back to me. <laughs> I was saying to Harry earlier, it's so nice talking to a friend because I can be <laughs> really unprofessional. Yeah, you can, because actually when we came into the podcast room, I asked Anne Howard where the bathroom was and I went and it was quite far away. About a five minute walk, I probably went to the wrong one. And I came back and she goes, do you just go for a poo? Which I thought was a bit of an odd thing to ask one of her podcast guests. <laughs> Just Whether or not I go for a poo is none of your business, especially before a podcast. <laughs> Nervous poo. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, okay, well, this has just come to me, but this wasn't what I was going to ask, but it will come. But how Daisy, who was really close to your dad growing up and didn't seem to have as much of a layered relationship, if you will, the kind of simplicity between a father and his daughter... And she's gone into PR. Mm. How did that feel? Actually, I feel extremely grateful that she's gone into it. Mm. Um, and she, she's very good at it. And she can go and do that. And, you know, she's, as I said, she's you know, starting her own business. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit, she's started it very well. It's going very well at the moment. So I'm obviously extremely proud of that. And I think it's great that someone's doing it. Yeah. I'm grateful it didn't have to be me, essentially. Mm. And also, I, think, I, I, th- dad, my, I don't think my dad was ever interested in me doing it. I don't think he really wanted me to. Right. I think it's the same thing that I said earlier, that you know, if, I did, if I was him and I had done something really, really well and I was renowned for it, I'm not so sure I'd want my son to do it. How come? What's the reasoning behind that? Because um, often it can be the other way. So what do you think that is for you? Um... I just think, I just always got the sense from him that he didn't, I see the thing is, he could have helped me. He could have just given me, I mean, they were, you know, he was, they were his companies, essentially. He could have just got me a well-paid job there. I could have sat there probably pissing around and, 
you know, um, yeah. half-arsing my way through life. And I think he just didn't want, I'd stopped the sentence, he didn't want me to do that. He didn't really help me properly with that. He didn't really, actually, he didn't particularly help me. He helped me with the, with the law with the law side. He did help me, you know, he helped pay for the, my, my law diploma and stuff like that. Um, not pay for, pay for the course. He didn't buy me the diploma. <laughs> I did actually study. <laughs> On the black market. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, yes, I just got the sense that he wanted me to go and do my own thing. And, and with the reason it's different with Daisy is that, first of all, um, I think just I think it is, is different when you're a daughter than a son. I think that's the first thing. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting to me because I actually don't know. So that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. I think there's just a different vibe from it. And, and the other thing as well is that Daisy's not doing the same type of PR. Yeah. Um, not to sit, not to discredit what Daisy's doing. Like what Daisy's doing is great and it's really fun. But it's different. But it's not political PR. It's a different side of PR. So I, th- I think um, even though she's doing extremely well, but it's a different. There's a different. Uh, barometer for it but yeah and I just got the sense from him that he never wanted me to do yeah that do you think that there's a part of that because he made his own way so maybe he felt like if he wasn't as sort of spoon to mouthy with you Mm. you might then do exactly what you have done and make yourself feel proud with what you've accomplished which is going and working as a lawyer at one of the top firms in the UK do you think that he sort of knew that maybe there was an element of you feeling that kind of inferiority. And so in order to like really feel good about yourself, you needed to have mm. part of your own way or pave your own way, not path. Yeah. <laughs> Carp <laughs> is what I meant to say. <laughs> I think on a subconscious level, like you could well be right. But I think that would, you know, to think that would mean that he was actively thinking about it. Whereas I think that he was... It, not to say that he was disinterested. I just think he was always, always he's very, very charming man, my dad. But he, and I think I never really knew this until you know, later on. I didn't think this growing up. Oh, I thought it was perfect growing up. And I realised later on he was a bit, um, I think he did enjoy being not famous. He wasn't like famous. Like he was, he was very well, well renowned, like in the, the political sphere yeah, yeah, and very, stuff. And yeah. a lot of people know who he is. And I, he, and I think he, and I just never thought of him as enjoying that. But I think that, you know, in retrospect now, I can see that he absolutely loved that. And I think he, I, I don't think he was particularly, I don't I know, he was obviously, he cared about me and he wanted me to do well. Mm. But I, he wasn't, you know, these are things that I, you know, when I'm a dad, I'm going to make sure I do slightly, di- you learn things and I'm going to do this slightly differently. But I think he wasn't as involved as he should have been. Yeah. I'm not saying, he was very, very generous and very kind and he would always help me when I asked him. But he was a bit too, but sometimes when you do that, it actually shows a bit of disinterest. Like mm. I'd almost rather he had been a bit harsher with me or perhaps punished me or, you know, mm. been, you know, seemed to care a bit more. I'm not saying at all that he was, he was a great, he was a great dad in a lot of ways, but I think there's ways of parenting which, you know, I would do it differently. Yeah. I think I need, sometimes I needed to be pushed into things a bit more or... Yeah. Um, tough love. Tough love, exactly. Whereas yeah. he was very, very, very kind. That can sometimes translate as, yeah. and I think sometimes it was just the case where he just couldn't be bothered to... Well, he couldn't be bothered. He was never lazy, but I think he just had other things on his mind. Yeah. Or he didn't really like. It was. I'm just sure it just probably wasn't one of his ambitions. You know, everyone talks. Everyone wants a kid. Yeah. But not everyone wants to raise like raise a child. Like, that's different. Yeah. Um, Completely. And I think his life was his work. Yeah. Um. So that's what I think about that. And Harry. Yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> this is what I was going to say. So asking him about you know how he became so successful and you wanted to like learn about that and hear his story and hear all these things that I think are quite natural for any child to learn about their parent especially if they've accomplished all these like exciting things like how did you get there and him being quite kind of dismissive about it I remember being at his memorial which was an amazing day um mm. and hearing all these all those stories from his two best friends and one of his, I think one was his co-founder am I right of Bell Pottinger, Pierce Pottinger yeah, yes that's it yeah. What was it like? Were there stories there that you didn't know about your dad? Because I remember coming out of that and feeling like I'd, even though I'd known your dad, I knew him as a teenager. So I didn't really know your dad. Mm. But so, but I'd obviously known him growing up, but on that kind of surface level, I was a child and he was a parent, Mm. but they knew him on a level of friendship and that kind of peer level. I just got a, such a wonderful essence of him. Yeah. Was there stuff that you found difficult to learn that you didn't know about him? Um... Not really, um, from the memorial, specifically. Yeah, um, like I, stories and... Yeah, I mean, I, I, some of those stories I knew and some I didn't. Um, I mean, the, the, they're stories that, I mean, they're... I mean, these are friends of his that weren't really around the house every day. So you, these are stories from his, what, sort of what his um, peer group and his colleagues. So 
you wouldn't really hear those stories at home. And he never really had them. He wasn't, it was, it, was, it was an odd thing. Like, he didn't really have... I know it's different for you when you get 50 plus. Like, I'm sure you don't see your friends as much. Or maybe you do. I mean, I, I, the, just the way we grew up, we had our, we have our, we had our home friends mm. who were sort of... Mum would sort of have to push that because Dad never really wanted to do anything. But Dad would never bring his work friends home. So you don't hear those stories. So, yeah. no, some of those stories I'd never heard. You know, whenever I ask my, you know, sometimes we'd be on holiday and dad would tell all of us stories. And the only story I really remember him ever telling was this one where he went, he was, a, he was a groomsman at a wedding in Sweden and he had a bit too much to drink and he woke up in a barn naked and there were loads of chickens around. <laughs> and for some reason, he would tell the story every, like almost every week, <laughs> which I thought was a bit odd. Um, but I mean, as far as like, the work stories go, no, like he never, he just didn't want to speak about it. And he, I, did, yeah. I think there was just such a disparity between his family life and his work life and he didn't want to delve into it when he came home. And I think that's just part of the sort of, you know, fun of it. Mm. I think, you know, I, 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 I sometimes have fun at work um, in, in other ways and I don't necessarily tell those stories to my friends. That's sort of, that's, I think that life, or my family, I think that sort of life exists outside the family. Yeah. And maybe that's the way he, he felt about it. I mean, it would have been nice to hear some of those stories. But I think also... Maybe part of it is that, like, you know, when people are writing about you and he's on, he's doing those, like, TV shows every, like, on, he's appearing on, like, Channel 4 News and stuff every week and he's, you know, people are writing things about him. Mm. Maybe he felt as though there was no, he didn't really want to share. Maybe that, like, he felt as though his private life had been delved into enough that he wouldn't even tell his son, like, a story, well, some of those stories. I don't know. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, there was this, he wanted to draw the line so much that it actually went the other way. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Um, two more questions. So the first is, as we said earlier, you haven't even had like a year since your dad's died. And I've never lost someone as close to me. I have lost most of my grandparents, but I haven't lost anyone as close to me as an adult. Yeah. What's it like if you could describe how you feel about life right now? I feel pretty good about life at the moment. Um, Worked going well. Um... I mean, obviously, I mean, yeah, I think about them every day and it is very tough. But at the same time, you know, as I said earlier, he's, he was, I, he was always just quite an old man and he was, you know, I, he was always ill. He was ill most of the time. Um, and he had a very difficult last few years when he got the Parkinson's and he had a stroke. Um, and so it's just, I mean, if it, and, you know, and nothing was left unsaid. Um, there are things I regret about the way I behave towards him. There's a couple of things I think about quite a lot, but in, but in, but in terms of you know, think, uh, nothing went unsaid. We had we all had a chance to say goodbye. Like we were all there on the day he died. My sister was there. Uh, my sister's fiance was there. We all got to speak with him. Um, and you know, he died in my in my arms, my stepmother's arms. Um, so I mean, it, it's, you know, in terms of going out the perfect way, he sort of did. So there's no regret. Which is very important. Like, so I'm not. I'm not sitting there being, oh fuck, I, you know, I can't believe I didn't get to say this to him, or oh, I wish I'd said that to his face, type of thing. Like, yeah. it was all said, and I think you know, we we understood each other pretty well towards the end. We had a lot of time together in the last few years. We used to go around and visit him quite a lot. So, um, I think you know, the only th- is as I, you know, the only thing you're really dealing with is just the absence of a father figure. But, you know, I'm 29 years old. I mean, we've spoken about this before. And I know that, you know, I know you say that they're two completely different things. But in my view, and not to, um, and not to sort of trivialise anyone that's going through, you know, a parent dying when they're, you know, in their late 20s or early 30s. But, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to lose a father at such a young age as you did. And not growing up with a father. I think that would be awful. Mm. Um Whereas at least, you know, there's a lot of things. That I, I, so I think this is actually the main thing that I sort of t- t- have taken away from it is that I remember, how, I remember how lucky I am that I got to, I mean, I, as I said, I thought he was going to die at over at any moment the whole way through growing up. And he got to when I was 29, mm-hmm. which is not what I was expecting. I thought he had died like 10 years ago. So I think, you know, you need to remember, obviously there's a really hard part at the start, but I always remember how grateful I am that nothing was left unsaid and that, you know, he helped me a lot and I helped him a lot. And he lived for much longer than I thought he would. So I guess it's like a pretty, pretty simple message to just be cherished every day and don't hold anything back. Unless, you know, you're just going to go and swear at them. That's a mistake. <laughs> hold that back. <laughs> <laughs> Wish we've all done. Yeah. Um, so if your dad was listening to this episode right now, yes. what would you want to say to him? Um, I would say, 
Well, first of all, I think he'd have gone off for a cigarette quite a long time ago. <laughs> He'd had about 10 by now. He'd have had 10 by now. Um, what would I say to him? I think I'd want him to know that things are going very well for me now and that I've got a very good job. I'm happy. Um, and I'd want him to know he'd be very interested about the coronavirus, actually. So I'd fill him in on that. But obviously we're all sick of talking about it, so I'm not going to do that now. And I think he'd also want to know that Ben Stokes had a couple of very good innings in the West Indies test in the last week, which is on the day he died. Um, it was, I think it was the Ashes game. At, this has mean nothing to you. <laughs> it, was the, uh, it was the Ashes uh, cricket game between Australia and England. Um, I think it was at Headingley. And we looked like we were about to lose. And Ben Stokes had an incredible innings. And he died that day. And he'd have absolutely loved it. Um, so I think about that often, especially whenever Ben Stokes plays well, which is every time he does play. Um, so I would have talked to him about that. Um, but in terms of, you know, I mean, as I said, you know, we didn't leave anything unsaid. So there's no regrets here. So I wouldn't want to keep him for too long because he has to go and have another cigarette. <laughs> and go to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Harry. You're welcome, Harry. That was amazing. Are we still on? Yeah. Oh, well, I love you. Thanks for having me on. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with the incredible Harry Bell. It was amazing interviewing a friend and I feel so very lucky to have done so. And Harry, thank you for opening up so honestly and articulately about your current experience of grief and about you and your dad's relationship. It was incredible to speak to Harry. And if you're listening to this on the day of the release of the episode, which is the 25th of August, 2020, then you're listening to this on the year anniversary of Lord Bell's death. So a real tribute to him. And thank you, Harry, for coming on and being so wonderful. If you've been affected at all by anything that's come up in the episode, I advise two places where you can visit. The first is Julia Samuel's website, www.juliasamuel.co.uk. The other place is www.untangle.life, which is for people experiencing grief. I'd love to thank Warren Borg at Wargy Productions for doing all the mastering and compressing, and Julietta for providing Daddy Issues podcast season two music, which I am obsessed with. Lastly, I'd love to thank all of you for listening and also staying on this long to listen to the rest of the outro as without you of course there would be no podcast so thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day or night Mm -hmm.